time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Hallie from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 97 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Is this pumpkin spice? Could it be? Could it be? Maybe. It's pumpkin spice. (laughs) Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a longtime subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. Okay, so how are you doing? Great. How are you? I'm okay. I'm hanging in there. It's fall. It's fall. For real. It's cold. Yeah. I'm feeling like nesting, and so I'm doing a lot of knitting. I know. Every time I call you in the morning, that's what you're doing. Yeah. I am wanting to sleep. That's what I want to do when the weather gets like this. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Yeah, I've got the knitting bug right now. I've got so much wool that I haven't had time to do anything with the last couple of years. So a lot of homesteaders grow their own food. Mm-hmm. I really would like to make more of my clothing. I'm in the middle of doing a shawl for myself. And so I have something planned. I got to wash this wool. <laughs> I got to spin it. I got to knit. And it might take a little while. Okay. It's coming. The snuggies are coming. The snuggies are coming. Today is one of the days we have the Andalusians back in basil and rosemary. Yes. The problem children. The problem children. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, I love the Andalusians. I do. But I don't think it's a coincidence that they accidentally call them the Fayumis all the time. Oh, (laughs) my goodness. Woo! They're very similar. They're very, very intelligent. But we're going to talk a lot about the Andalusians. They're right now my problem children, Uh for sure. uh So they were kind of part of the flock. And then I had to pull them back. Yeah. Because they're the smallest and the youngest, but they were picking on Clover. They needed a timeout. So they came back in and had their big airy cage. And now I'm just starting to integrate them back in. Uh And the um, dynamic changed a little bit. So they're getting chased more. Yeah, yeah. Which is putting them more in their place. But then we were just back there and I noticed them going after Clover. Yep. But it wasn't as bad as it was. No. So I'm hoping that Clover is now stronger and she is. But we'll see. Yeah. If we've learned anything this year, it is that we do not want to go through two integrations a year. That is the number one thing I'm taking from this year. (laughs) Not fun. The other thing is our eggs are starting to get less. We're getting less eggs. Yeah, fewer eggs. Due to molting and due to a little bit less sun. So don't forget to go listen to episode 86 where we talk about egg preservation with Fiona. Yeah. And we have some really good ideas because right now is a time that if you're getting a few extra eggs that you don't want to eat for breakfast, lunch, or dinner or bake with right now, you want to preserve them, especially for coming up in December and November for holiday baking. Holiday baking. Yeah. So it's that time of year again. Yesterday was the first day of fall here. Mm -hmm. And I swear to you, it was like, it went from summer to December. Yeah, it was in the mid 70s and still warm. And then overnight, it dropped down to like 48 degrees. It was crazy. Fall is here. Woohoo! 
Okay, so if you're listening to our show and loving it, head on over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that little subscribe button so you never miss an episode. That's another way we can grow as a show. You can also share your favorite episodes on social media. You can tell a chicken-loving friend about the podcast. You can visit our Etsy shop. Our new mugs are there, and they are selling like hotcakes. However, quickly hotcakes sell. You know what was fun? I got to meet one of our local listeners this Mm -hmm. weekend, Tammy Harris. She's only 30 minutes away from us. And Tammy, it was such a joy to meet you and deliver your mugs and teas Thank you so much. Oh, Tammy's a champ. She bought one of each of everything we have in our Etsy shop. Thank you, Tammy. And her chickens are so adorable and her setup is so great. It was so great to meet you. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Thanks, Tammy, for listening. You can become a patron of the show. Visit us at patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. They start at just $1. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links and codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love the chicken pot holders and the Ikea scrub brush. My chickens are going crazy over those grubbly grubs in that box. And the chicken note cards are going to be great to send into school with the teachers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business, working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog, and don't forget, pre-orders start November 2022 for the spring 2023 season. Time for the breed spotlight, yeah. Yes. This week's Breed Spotlight is another 2.0 revisit. Mm -hmm. The Andalusian. They are absolutely beautiful. They're elegant birds. I really do love them. They are in the Mediterranean class. Yes, they are. And they were developed in Andalusia in Spain. How'd you guess? Right. (laughs) Now, what you need to know, though, is that Andalusia is the southernmost territory in Spain. 
So it's very warm. Right. You have these rolling hills and farms, and then you have these gorgeous beaches that border the Mediterranean. And this bird is built for that area. Yeah. So it's a very small, compact bird that's not going to have a lot of extra fat on her. Or him. It's true, yeah. You often hear them referred to as blue Andalusians. Right. And so they tend to be blue with dark blue lacing and color. That's what the breed standard calls Mm -hmm. for. But they can also be found in just plain blue, black, white, and splash. I think the most common one is the blue Andalusian. The blue is what you're after because that's the breed standard. And there is a level of lacing on these birds from mild to very dark. Yes. So depending upon the breeding lines is what you're going to actually get in the end. Right. If you're trying to stick with the standard, you want a darker blue with pretty much the darkest lacing you yeah. can get. The hens tend to have a dark head as well. Right. They arrived in the U.S. and the U.K. at about the same time, so in about the 1850s. Right. And they appeared as the Blue Andalusians in the first printing of the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection. That was in 1874. And they have remained a reasonably popular showbird ever since. On the most recent conservation priority list, the Livestock Conservancy does list them in the threatened category. I think, again, I say this every time, it's availability, it's getting them, it's a little harder. They're not in your farm supply stores. No, we do have a couple of very good sources for them. Right, we're going to help you. And the other thing they have going against them is they lay white eggs. Yeah. And the white egg layers just aren't as popular. You know, I'm going to go for a beautiful chicken every time with a good personality. Yeah. And the other thing is the white eggs make all the others pop. They do. When you sit next to them. So you kind of need that white egg in there. You're going to be getting more of those white eggs than any other colored eggs. Oh, yeah. Because the white egg layers are better egg layers. They generally are. That's true. They're going to give you more of them. Yes. Yep. So if you put a white egg next to a brown and a blue, that's going to make it all pop together. It looks together. beautiful, Or yeah. even a green, whatever you have. And if you're into dyeing your eggs, especially if you do it with natural colors, like vegetable colors. You need the white eggs. The white eggs do take the dye the best. And that's why natural colored sheep's wool tends to sell for a premium because people like the dark yeah. colors. But white is always going to have a market because it dies. You can make it whatever you want. Exactly. And here's the thing. They all taste the same, everyone. Every single egg egg tastes the same. An egg is an egg. It's all about the genetics and how they're going to be colored. It does not change the taste whatsoever. No. So in early writing by poultry historians, you tend to find the Andalusian lumped in with the white-faced black Spanish. I can see that. So U.S. writer John Taggart lists a bunch of breeds and he calls them subsets of the Black Spanish. So he lists the White Spanish, the Ancona, the Menorca, and the Andalusians as subset of the white-faced Black Spanish. They're all kind of similar. They're similar, right? They're Mediterraneans, but he's not correct. Edmund Dixon, who was one of the earliest poultry writers, also listed the Andalusians as an offshoot of the Black Spanish. He called them a grizzly. Sometimes grizzle is a word well, used for gray. They they share white earlobes. Yeah. They look a lot alike in a they way. They do look a lot alike. They do have a lot in common, but they are two distinct breeds and they yeah. have the noticeable differences. Of so course. The Spanish is about a pound heavier than the Andalusian. I mean, you're still talking about two reasonably small body birds. Right. And the Andalusian doesn't have those big white face patches. Exactly. So by the time our old friend Lewis Wright was writing in the 1880s, the Andalusian had really been given their rightful place as a Spanish breed of excellent quality. Lewis Wright. You gotta love him. I kind of do. You do love yourself some Lewis Wright. Because he wrote so prolifically about chickens. He was the crazy chicken guy. I swear. I don't think there's a a guy out there that's more of a chicken guy than Lewis Wright. There may be, but I don't know if they wrote as prolifically as he did. I think if somebody came to you and said, is there a person that you would like to go back in history and meet and talk with? 
You would say Lewis Wright. Probably. And one of the reasons why is because not only did he love breeds as much as I do, he was very concerned about the care and welfare of chickens. Yeah, you guys would have a good conversation. If Coffee with the Chicken Ladies can go in a time machine and go back and talk to Lewis Wright, you would be like, yes. I would be. (laughs) I mean, seriously, he was, you know, he was over 100 years ago and he was trying to do the same thing as we're doing. Yeah. He was trying to promote heritage breeds. He was trying to get better care for chickens. Yeah. So as we said before, the Andalusians are small to medium body birds. They have longish legs. And really, if you look at them objectively, an almost gamey appearance. They do. I agree. Yeah. They have blue or slate blue legs and feet. White earlobes. Big, nice combs and moderate size waddles. There's going to be some difference in their size. Right. If you're looking for a show bird, obviously. You want you bigger. Want, yeah. And the upright tail that you find on all the Mediterraneans. The roosters are super handsome. They have black hackle and saddle feathers over top of the blue. It's absolutely beautiful. I don't They're know. also a lot darker. Yes, they are a lot darker. I got to tell you, I would be tempted to have one of these boys. They're so pretty. You could see the boys in your flock. Well, I have the girls in my flock. I know. So. I mean, we have the girls. So yeah. that's why I said, could you see these in your flock? We already see these in our flock. Yeah. We already I mean, see these in our flock. We, <laughs> we see these in our flock aplenty. Uh, yeah, <laughs> roosters. Medium size. They weigh about seven pounds. And the girls are about five to five and a half pounds. Yeah. So that's that little bit of difference there. The girls are a little bit bigger than the leghorn. The leghorns can be around four. Yeah, they're definitely bigger than a leghorn. Yeah. So, I mean, that just gives you the contents of how little the leghorn actually is. Right. You don't really think about it, but they are. They really are small birds. When you pick up a leghorn, again, I always come back to this. Why do I need a bantam? I know. So they're really good foragers. And they love their free range time. Yeah, they're supposed to be a really rugged and healthy breed. And they like to get up on shade sails. Well, yours did. She's oh, up on the shade yeah. sail. Very oh, silly. Yeah. Now, the Andalusians are known to be a heat-hardy breed. They do great in the American South. They do great in the summers here. But they might need a little bit of help staying warm in the winter. Yeah, especially if you're in the northern or the middle part of the country where it gets really, really cold Lots in the of winter. Lots of freezing, yeah. You have to have a heater. Well, the thing to remember is that when people give advice online about roosters and frostbite, they tend to say, just put some Vaseline on it. Make sure there's no moisture in your coop. They're ignoring the bigger thing. And I'm saying this to you with my 20 years of hard-won experience. Sometimes it's so cold that the blood vessels in the comb freeze and Vaseline is not going to stop I mean, the Vaseline is going to act as a protectant to the skin, but not the blood vessels. Right, right. And so again, if you have some excess moisture in the coop that settles as frost on the comb, Vaseline will stop that. Yeah. But if it's so cold that blood vessels are freezing, Vaseline ain't going to do nothing for it. Yeah. You just have to be careful. I know I bang this drum a lot, but I, I see this all the time. Yeah. Just be careful. When you have these chickens, they're small bodies. So you really got to have them in a coop that's going to have a heater or where they are packed between some big girls and boys. And even then, those combs and waddles. Just protect them. You've got to. So the color genetics of the Andalusian are interesting. The thing with the Andalusian is most of our history starts at about 1850. Right. Most of the poultry writers in the 19th century were not fluent in Spanish. They were not looking at Spanish records. Someone who had the time to go to Spain and sort of trace the development of these birds would probably find a rich and fascinating history. They're probably a few hundred years old. What we do know about them is their color genetics are really fascinating. And that does start with their development in Spain. Now, several sources speculate that there's an older chicken, the Black Castilian, or in Spain, known as the Castellana Negra, maybe one of their foundation breeds. Okay. The Castellanas are an endangered heritage breed in Spain. They're a very old breed. 
And they share a lot of the traits with the Andalusians, including the medium white body, the white earlobes, the slaty blue legs. Right. So this would make perfect sense as one of the foundation breeds of these blue birds. One of the ways you can create blue is by breeding a black chicken to a white chicken. Yeah, of course, you're going to get like a gray, lavender, bluish look. Right. It's called blue, but it's more like a grayish color. Right. And some of this depends on the actual genetic bloodlines of, say, the white chicken. What's dominant in that chicken, et cetera, et cetera. And and like when you look at the chickens and you got like a lavender, you have the blue. These are all white and black chickens that come out with a different shade of gray that may have a tint of certain things. Right. When you breed the black chicken to the white chicken, the first generation of offspring are generally a mix of black, white, blue, and splash. The way you get a larger number of blue birds is you breed blue to blue. Right. So if you select blue offspring from that mix and you breed the blue to blue, you get about 50% blue, the other half are black, and then the white and splash. So we checked in with Murray McMurray. Mm-hmm. Ours came from McMurray. And they are so beautiful. Yes, they are. And they're very healthy. I mean, yes. they're stunning chickens. They are. They keep the blue bloodlines going. Mm-hmm. And what I've gathered is that every now and again, they'll introduce black back into the mix. Right. Because it keeps the blue shades darker. Okay. So you get that beautiful deep blue and you get that beautiful lacing. So one of the takeaways from this is if you buy Andalusian hatching eggs, you need to be prepared for all four colors. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fun. They're all beautiful. They're all different variations. If you look them up and look at images of them, Mm -hmm. you're going to see all the different variations of what you could get before you get. Right. And they're all beautiful chickens in their own way. Yeah, exactly. And of course, if you're going to be showing your Andalusians, it's the blue that you show. Oh, yeah. Okay, so let's go into the laying of the Andalusians. They're a Mediterranean breed, so that's going to put them in a good category. They're going to give us like 200 eggs a year. Very good. White eggs. And they're Mediterranean, so they don't go broody. Yeah, Which is really a good thing if you don't want chicks or have a broody head. Yeah, exactly. So that's what lends to our higher number of egg layers is that they don't go broody. Right, it's a combination of that. Broody cuts into the egg development throughout the year. Chickens are born with the number of eggs they're going to lay no matter what. Yes. But broodiness definitely puts a hinder on the egg laying. And Mediterraneans don't go broody, so they lay a lot of eggs all throughout the year. It raises a really interesting question about the whole history of the Mediterranean breeds in general. They're all supposed to be very old. Yeah. And it would make sense that, yes, they are that old because over decades and even centuries, they were selected to be good layers and not go broody. Right. I mean, they're just a really interesting example of what happens when you breed broodiness out, but keep other excellent qualities intact. Then that chicken is reliant on humans to keep it going because they're not going to be sitting on eggs in a natural area. That's right. I mean, it was a double-edged sword here. You breed out a broodiness because you don't need it. But then in nature, they need it to keep a breed alive and they're not going to have it. It's kind of like when you go to Assateague Island and they say, don't feed the ponies because they become reliant on you. It's the same thing here. Right. And so you would have to have a breed to be a brood hen, essentially. Yeah. I mean, you take it from nature to put it in humans' hands and keeping it going. We knew a lot of bantams were kept for that reason. So let's go into temperament because this is kind of a fun talk about the Andalusians. Yes. Because they are a little sassy, but they're very friendly. Mine are beyond friendly with us. Yeah. When they came from McMurray Hatchery, they only wanted to sit on our laps constantly. When we took them outside as babies, they never left our side. Right. And they will sit and snuggle with you. You have to first catch them. Yes. Mine tolerate it. I don't know that they enjoy it. They tolerate being held. I'm pretty sure mine enjoy it once they get held. Uh Uh-huh. But, you well, know, I let you take the really friendly ones. 
it's not that mine are unfriendly. You know, they're just, they are similar to the, the Fayumis in that they want to be hanging out with you all the time. Yeah. They just don't want to be held. I think I have the two girls here too that hold everybody like yeah. a ton. Yep. And it kind of helps out with that. They do have a reputation of being a very, very intelligent bird, which is an excellent thing. But put an intelligent bird in a flock that's mixed with birds who aren't at the same level intelligence, and those other birds may get bullied by the Andalusians. Well, that's your problem. They're very smart. Yeah. They have these huge outgoing personalities. They're very curious. But when they're bored, they get into trouble. Yeah. So you're going to have to have a big space for them, and then you're going to have to come out and free range them at some point, sit with them, let them walk around. Again, we don't let our birds come out on their own. Right. Andalusians are in the threatened category now. So they're not the rarest of the rare, but they're still a rare breed. They're still a threatened population. I know some people really, really, really like to find a homestead breed that they could just let free range and not worry about them. But that scares me. If you let them free range on their own, you're going to be going up in a tree to get them. Yeah, you might. No doubt in my mind. You might, yeah. Because they like to fly. They're small bodied and they can get up there. Not oh, yes, they can. Not going to get heavy enough to keep them down. No, they're good flyers. You know, the thing with them is you're going to get a good egg laying bird. You're going to have to work with them for handling yeah. and everything else and then have supervised free range and a good large enclosure to keep them happy. You definitely need a large enclosure with these birds. Mm-hmm. You cannot have them in a place where they're too crowded. They definitely need enrichment. So boredom busters right. and just lots of things to dig they're probably a good candidate for like leaves. Oh, yeah. So if you throw leaves in the run that they can turn over. It's so funny because our birds that we got from McMurray were the two Andalusians each and a Heritage Delaware with them. The most unlikely pair of birds that you could put together. Mine are super bonded. And the three of them are bonded beyond belief on yeah. both ends, yours and mine. And it's so funny to watch. It is. Because the three of them are like a little girl gang basically going through and I just feel for my Favarols because the Favarols are very soft chickens. That's the only way I can put it. Yeah. And Andalusians are not. Right. So you do have to have some enrichment. You are going to have to spend some extra time with this bird and give them something to keep them not bored because they're so intelligent. Just be cognizant of that. If you don't have a big space or you don't have time to supervise your birds with foraging or free ranging, they can become bullies and they can become feather pickers. Yeah, so you need a big area and you need to spend time with them. And maybe watch what other breeds you put them in with. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're going to want to rise to the top of the flock because of their level of intelligence. Right. Mine are going in what we call the Jersey Giants yard. And my three Jersey Giants and Blanche Dubois, the Easter egg, are five going on six. They are firmly in control. Yeah. They even keep the Fayumis in check. So my Andalusians and Apple Blossom, the Delaware, are going into that flock. And they're going to team up with the Fayumis and become a big girl gang in there. It'll be interesting to see how they deal with each other. They go into a large pen in the yeah. run every day. And Zora runs up and stares at them. She's yeah. really curious about them. I know that they can't jockey for the top because you're not going to move the Jersey Giant girls. So it's the mid-level girls. I have seen them chased during free range time. They've been chased by Mary Berry, the Speckled Sussex. And they've been chased by Franny, the Leg Bar. So Katie Biscuit is also my Speckled Sussex. I call her now the Enforcer. Yeah, she lives in law. <laughs> she does. And she does it to those Andalusians, too. So anybody that comes to us and says, the speckled Sussex is a pushover. No. No. No, they're not. So this is where we get into this is flock dynamics. And we've talked about this in previous episodes. But they're going to create some havoc in a flock dynamic. The potential for that does exist. And again, be aware of that. 
They're really beautiful. They do have this rich, long history in Spain and the Mediterranean that we don't really know that much about. We did not bring up one last point about them. We spoke with Jeannie Keys about two years ago about training chickens in her book, Click With Your Chick. And the chickens that she used were Andalusians. Yeah. She said they're the most intelligent chicken she's ever worked with. Exactly. And I totally get that. You can see it. These are smart birds. When you look in those eyes and they look back at you, that little brain is really thinking right there. I think they're absolutely stunning birds. I mean, they're beautiful. They're great layers. They have so much to offer. I just think you need to be very aware of chicken behavior and how to deal with it. I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that I would call an Andalusian a beginner's chicken. I would say it's definitely not a beginner's chicken. So last week we talked about the Orpington. That's a good beginner's chicken. That is a beginner's chicken. Yeah. Through and through, you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love her or him. This chicken, you're going to love her, but she's not going to want to love you as much. She's going to want to be jumping around, flying around, and you're going to need to keep her from getting bored. Right. She might want to hang out with you. She may or may not want to be cuddled. Right. But she definitely needs a lot of mental stimulation or she's going to get in trouble. I've lucked out mine, lovey and snuggled. Yeah. I just want to hang out and I'm fine with that. I mean, that's fine. But you need to be savvy about bullying and chicken, things like that. I would say there aren't that many more breeds that are as fun to watch as them. They're just all over the place. They are. Like I said, Sophia, we go back to put them in the other night. Sophia's like, well, Rosemary's on top, the shade sale. And the shade sales, as anybody's seen her videos on social media, I have three of them in the run because when the tree took out the run, our shade went with it. So the shade sales, hey, they're at the top of the run. Yeah, they're at the very top yeah. of the run. So they had to fly up there and they're she just like, chilling. Like, woohoo, circus bird. <laughs> this is great. Did you put a hammock up here for right. me? Thank you. <laughs> so yeah. they're a special breed. And I mean that in the best way possible. They're a very old breed. They're absolutely beautiful. They are amazing layers. You just need to be prepared for some of the personality things. So let's tell everybody where they can find the Blue Antillusion. Well, you can get them at Murray McMurray Hatchery. Our favorite hatchery. Absolutely. Top quality genes there. We'll have to ask, are these one of the original bloodlines? We will have to ask Ginger. You can get them at several of the other hatcheries. Right. You can get that from San Jose Preservation if you're looking for a breeding stock because they will send you straight run chicks. And then you can check out the breeder's directory on the Livestock Conservancy's website. Yeah. The biggest problem for this chicken is availability. Numbers, yeah. So check out those places. You can get them and make sure you're an experienced chicken keeper if you're going to get this chicken. Or animal savvy. Yeah. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosty's store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosty's range or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, let's move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. So this week's main topic, we're going to do a product review. 
we're going to talk about our new Nestera Coops. As everyone has seen on our social media, we do have the Nestera Coop in our yards. And we wanted to just chat a little bit about pros and cons of the Nestera. Right. Now, we did an episode a couple months ago where Fiona talked about her Nestera Coop. We're going to give you the U.S. perspective. So we both have what is called the large raised coupe. I love it. I love it too. Nestera has two sizes. So they have the small and the large coupes. And you can either get them sitting on the ground or you can get the raised. Yeah. And here's the thing. If you are going to put them in a run, sometimes the raised will give you that floor space under. It will create a shelter for your bird. Well, here in North America where it can get blazing hot, they really need the option for some really cool shade. And where it gets cold, a block from the wind. Right. And the ones that sit on the ground are excellent for either small birds or very large birds or broody coops. Broody coops, hospital coops. They're a really good option if you have, say, just a couple of little rescue chickens, something like that. The large raised coop, so I love a lot of things about it. But one of the things I really love about this coop is the height of the roosts. There are two roosting bars. They're both wooden. You can easily remove them. Right. They're locked in with a linchpin. Yeah. And so if you only have, say, four chickens and you want a little more room for them to move around, you can take one of the roosting bars out. You can just use one. They're nice and low. So if you have big girls and boys, you don't have to worry about leg injuries from them jumping down. I actually love the placement. I think, honestly, for a plastic coop, the body of the coop lends a lot of space to chickens. Yeah. Where some of the other coops that are plastic do not. Here's the other thing, and I'm going to put my point that I like about it, is it has a large body to it, and the nesting boxes are separate. That is huge to me. All my Amish coops have separate nest box so that that's not taking up your floor space. Sometimes when there's bad weather, especially in the winter and it's super cold, they may have to spend a day in there. Yeah, yeah. So you need to have the floor space in order for them to walk around, and then the nest box are separate. The nest box separate has a lot of advantages, most of which you just said, but I love the fact that it's just two good-sized nest boxes. Oh, yeah. Two is plenty for them. We go with four and always two nest boxes end up overfilled with shavings because they just kick all the stuff in them and they never go in them. So two nest boxes for eight chickens, it works out because everybody wants the same nest box anyway. Right. Everyone lays a clutch and then the broody hen sits on it. But yeah, they're big, comfortable nest boxes and I do really like them. We touched on the shelter underneath, but because the sides, they're a solid piece of the recycled plastic. I like plastic, that about it. It gives you really deep shade. It's really cool. The chickens tend to love being under there. And like you said, it's a good wind block. It's a good wind block. And as soon as I put mine in the new run with the girls, they were all hanging out. One day, all seven of them were under there together, mm-hmm. rolling in the dirt. And what it does is when you have the raised bed and that extra block, it also blocks wind and snow from hitting that dirt so it makes it for lack of a better way of saying it virgin dirt yeah and it makes it really soft for dust bathing so they tend to really like it i think it's a huge pro to this coop is the raised aspect of it because they're blocked off and don't let air come through yeah it really 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 works well for this climate we should back up a little bit nestera is a uk company who have recently launched in the U.S. and also in some other countries in Europe. Right. These coops are made of 100% recycled plastic. So when you buy this coop, you are rescuing 2,000 shampoo bottles from a landfill. That's a Think lot of plastic. Think about that. 2,000 yeah. to make this coop. It makes you feel really good about it. It's an amazing use for post-consumer plastic. 
the eco-credentials are just fantastic. The other thing I like is how they describe it as a luxury lodge. That's cute. That's so cute. I do like that. Luxury it's the equivalent lodge. of living in a luxury lodge. Yeah, yeah. Because, okay, let's put it this way. It is different than the average chicken house. Yes. It looks different. It's an eco-friendly, it's more modern design. Yeah, definitely a modern design. Let's back up again and go to putting it together. You and I put ours yes. together yep. in a little over an hour for the first time. I like that because if you need to take it apart and move it, it doesn't take a long time. No, and I put mine together by myself to see if it were possible. Right. So here I am, 49-year-old woman with fibromyalgia and arthritis and all my aches and pains. No, I am reasonably handy. But I thought if I can do this by myself, right. that opens another level of accessibility for perhaps a chicken keeper who is not as physically able right, or who is elderly. Right. And I really like that. Yeah. And you did that. And then what we did was you and I put mine together. Right. It took us just you about are, an hour and a half. And I'm not handy. I was going to say, that out. you are self-professed, unhandy person. I put that out there all the time. I am not handy. I get yelled at by Joe all the time. Can, why can't you screw a screwdriver? I'm just not handy. I think the hardest part of the assemblage, and this isn't really hard at all, is screwing the little bits together. It's just the most tedious part of it. Yeah. Anything that you're going to have to put together, you're going to have some of those things. Right. But right. they did not take hours and hours. No. <laughs> so like you're screwing the window covers on. Right. You do a lot of these little fiddly bits and then you get to start the fun part and that is putting the pieces together. And clicking it all together. Yeah. You fasten the body pieces with either these small plastic clips called pie clips. And they look like T's. They look like this, the pie symbol. They look exactly like yeah. that. Or linchpins. Right. You kind of stretch them apart. Yeah. Pin, and, and it has a circle that comes around it. It sort of holds together by pressure. It snaps back together. Yeah. Every time that you do take it apart, you're going to get quicker at putting it back together. Right. But it makes it easy to clean. It's pretty much red mite resistant because it's plastic. But if you yeah. do get them, you take it apart, you hose them down. You can just power wash it, yeah. Exactly. The main floor, the floor of the coop has three or four little teeny drain holes. So you can just rinse it and it flushes out. Yeah, I love that. I love that this is a perfect coop for an urban chicken keeper. It is. You can put it in a small yard. Baltimore County, where I am, recently passed laws to allow people to keep chickens in smaller lots. But part of the permit process is they want to see like coop plans. Right. With a coop like Nestera, you can easily show them plans. Exactly. And even in Baltimore City, they are allowed in smaller areas. Right. So the thing about this chicken coop is if you want three chickens, I usually don't recommend to have anything less than four. But let's start with just four chickens. You can get their small coop or their large coop and fit into that space. Right. So it does make chicken keeping accessible to everyone. If you only had a tiny yard and you were only allowed to have three chickens, I'd get the small coop and have three leghorns. I would try to stretch it to four because you never know. I know know you would, but I'm saying if you could only have three chickens. If they said you could only have three chickens, I'd say boo hiss on you. I'm getting four. I'm the chicken lady. I will have four chickens. Or leg bars. Leghorns are leg bars. Yeah, they're so cute. But yeah, so again, it opens up all that accessibility. It's easy to move. Yeah. You can get it with wheels or without. Ours have wheels so that you can wheel it around. And here's the thing. We carried it back. It's not super heavy, but it's heavy enough. It's sturdy enough, right. So that a strong wind isn't going to be blowing it in. Exactly. It has excellent headroom 
and excellent ventilation. And the reason I mentioned headroom, chickens don't like to go into caves. Right. They want a lot of headroom in their coop. Well, they like to roost. Right, and, exactly. And they want the height of it. So it's a good area for them. That goes with the floor space. Right. And then it's also head space. And the ventilation is up high. So And adjustable. Yes. Now, on one side, do you know what crenellations are? Yeah. Like, imagine a castle's battlements. Yeah. One side has that, and the roof slots over top, and so you still have these tiny openings for, for the ventilation. ventilation. On the other side are round windows with these super cute covers yeah. that are circular-shaped. So that you can pick what you want. You can have it open like a quarter of the way or halfway. Right. I absolutely love them. Now, I will say that you should not get a draft. The other ventilation where the roof pitch and the wall come together mm-hmm. is always going to be there. Right. But the other ones you can close off if it's super cold yeah. or open up if it's super warm. And I don't know how that's going to translate to certain areas of the country, whether that would be too cold or not, whether you have to find a way to close that. We will try probably Nankins in there and we'll probably pop a Cozy Peter in there to see how it does. If that gives the Nankins enough warmth to just keep it at like 30 degrees, right? plus they're getting the excellent ventilation, then it's no problem. That's perfect. Right. Altogether, it's a really nice coop. I suppose you have to wonder about whether snow would be able to come in there in blizzard conditions. Well, I have the big red coop, which was given to me by my neighbor down the street who did an excellent job building this coop. Right. And he did the same type of ventilation. Uh-huh. And I have not had any trouble. We haven't had a blizzard though. My point there is you might need to be prepared to do a little more. Sometimes what you can do from the inside is maybe tack up something to kind of block it. Right. And be able to work with that. With the being plastic, you can even use a duct tape, which you can take right off or something yeah, like that. Yeah, gaffer's tape that sticks really well and you can reuse. Just for the the blizzard part. I'm just saying in certain parts of the U.S. where we might get something like a blizzard every handful of years, you might need to be prepared for a little extra care. Yeah. But that might be for any coop. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so for summer, because you have the windows on one side and the ventilation on the other, right. it's very easy to say use a, a fan right. to pull a cross breeze. Right. And that will really keep that coop cool. Yeah. The other thing you can do is try the ice block method. Right. You know, wrap up an ice block, put it in there. The walls are reasonably thick plastic. Right. And so if they share really good insulating qualities, putting the ice block in there in conjunction with a fan should really be able to keep that coop cool in the summer. Yeah. So the ventilation's amazing. The shelter underneath is amazing. The good headroom. It's easy to clean. It's easy to move. And it's got a 25-year warranty. Yes. So if anything goes wrong, you are going to contact them and they will replace the parts. I've never seen a warranty that good on a chicken coop ever. All in all, completely love, love, love this A plus plus. If somebody came at us and said... Okay, you're telling us you love, love, love this coop, 100% say yes, but is there one thing that you could kind of swivel a little bit? Change up for what, the American market? A little bit. What I would want to change up just a smidgen would be the door. Okay. I love the door, Uh huh. but I want to find a way to secure it a little bit more. Because we're dealing with bigger and more predator pressure here. Exactly, here in the U.S. Yeah, and again, I feel like most coops are absolutely the same. I will say that with the Amish coops, they have locks that lock. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we are used to that double layer of security exactly. there. Yeah. But I love the design of it. I love how easily it flows back yeah, and it's forth. it's neat. It's like a... It looks like a pizza pie. Yeah. Shaped like a slice of pizza. Yeah. And essentially a simple pulley system. Right. And you just open it that way. And that's the one thing that I would love, like a way to hook it so that it's locked uh-huh. at night. 
versus just the little notch in it. Right. Like somehow just to secure that with a lock. All in all, I'd give this coop amazing review. Absolutely. I love it. My chickens love going up in there. that does remind me of something. You can get an auto door that's compatible with this. Yes, you can. Yeah. So if you like the auto door route, and that does have that, its own little lock, yeah. so you should check out online for Nestera. When you purchase a coupe, you can also purchase the door opener. Yeah, that's actually a good way around that, and really. And you wouldn't have to be securing it yourself. It has its own little lock and pulley system that secures that door. Yeah. That's a good accessory to go with this. It really is. The other thing you can get, which is super fun, is the coupe cam. Yes, we have to get ours out there. Yeah. It's like, who does not want to just sit there and watch your chickens at night during the day, whatever? Fiona did it to track one of her broody hens. And the video was amazing. It was she really good quality. Really good quality yeah. video. So those are the fun accessories. The door opener, which kind of solves your problem, which you don't have to manually open and close it. It does it for you. Right. It locks it. It has the wheels. It has the tray system so that you can do the trays in and out with your shavings. Yeah, because you can take the roof off, you can take the back off. Right. It's so easy to take this coop apart right. for some cleaning. So if you have the trays, you just pull the trays out and empty them in your wheelbarrow or whatever. Exactly. And then we have the coop cam. Yeah. This coop, you will need a run. They do offer a run that jets off the door. So it would be like it's a, a not a walk-in. A small run to put in the front. But in our setups, we always do walk-in runs. That would be really handy if you are using it as a broody coop or a hospital coop. That would work for that aspect yeah. of it. That you don't need to make a big, huge run to go with it. But we just put them in our big standalone runs. We do. Yeah. So when you go to a farm supply store and you're buying a coop for $500, it's very... If you ever like touch the wood, you could almost break it in a second. Yes. They have this little tiny run attached to them. Right. They can't even walk around it. This is a standalone coop, so you can design what you want to do for your run. Right. So if you want to build a walk-in or purchase a walk-in, you can do that. Or they have the availability on their website to buy the small runs at Hook that are not walk-in. Right. So you can get fun accessories with it. It's a really neat looking one. And my chickens are loving going up and down in there and laying (laughs) eggs in there. It's a nice space. You know, it's nice, cool. Again, there's good headroom. I know your girls are very happy to be laying in those big nest boxes. They love it. They usually do same-day shipping, which is really amazing. So for the U.S. market right now, they're shipping out of Ohio. Right. And so it's quick. I mean, ours came in a matter of days. They were super fast. They were fast. So they're very easy to get. They definitely have them in stock. And you can even get them right on Amazon if you don't go to the website. Right. The current price point, they don't have a coop that's over $1,000. Right. So everything is under $1,000 for these coops. That's a good price. I would say so, yeah. I mean, by the time you go to your farm supply store or other places, and if you purchase a coop that is going to be at least 500 in those places, they're going to fall apart in a year. Yeah. So I tell this story all the time. Got the chicks, called Joe, told him we can get a coop for $150 <laughs> when we started this many, many years ago. I laugh so much even thinking about that now. $150, no way, no how. To be realistic, it wouldn't even be worth it. We got one of those small, cheap coops, and it didn't even last for two years. Yeah. These, you could potentially have these for 20 years. And if you moved, it's so easy to disassemble these coops and take them with you. exactly. Wherever you need to go. Hey, and this would go into emergency prep, too, that if you had to... You could undo this one in a very quick, timely matter, package it all up and take it if you had to be evacuated somewhere or whatever. So that's that's a a very good point. You could actually take this coop. Yes, you could. 
So there's lots of amazing stuff about Nestera. I'm really completely sh- sold on these coops. I mean, I really, really love nice. them. Yeah. They're really, really nice. Check them out, nestera.us. Their website's so easy to navigate. If you don't even want to do that, go right on your Amazon app and you can look them up right there. Now, here's the thing you do not want to forget, whether you are ordering from their website or from Amazon, you want to use our code for 10% off. Use this code. CWTCLP10. 10% off of this is a good chunk. Oh, yeah. It's something that you can use anywhere. And trust us, we love ours. Yes. We really do. Boy, I wish these coops had been around like 10 years ago. Okay, so go check it out. Let us know what you think. So let's move on to cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Today, tortilla baked eggs. It's kind of huevos rancheros, kind of. quesadilla eggs. Kind of, yeah. It's kind of loosely Mexican in style. It's really meant to be quick. You can add a lot of other things to it to fancy it up. I mean, this is one of the things with cracking the eggs that we try to get out there is you can use your eggs and it doesn't always have to take a long time. Right. You can do them in quick ways, make some really delicious meals with them. So this one, we made it enough to feed, you know, like your whole family for breakfast one day or yourself for a few days. So you're essentially going to be lining a baking dish with tortillas. You can use flour or if like me, you have to be gluten-free, you can use corn tortillas. You're just going to need a couple more if you use corn because they're usually smaller. So you're going to spray your baking dish. We just use the 13 by 9. Yep. You're going to spray it with some olive oil or some other baking spray. Then you're going to line the bottom and sides with your tortillas. Yep. We call for a handful of greens, like two cups of fresh greens. Just roughly chop them. Exactly. It doesn't have to be anything major. And you can use whatever. You can use spinach. You can use beet greens. You can use chard. Whatever. Just drop the greens all over the tortillas. Then for the 13 by 9 inch dish, which we're figuring feeds about four, you're going to want eight eggs. Yeah. And you're just going to crack the eggs open and you're going to put four down each side, each long side. Right. And then you're going to sprinkle some salt and pepper. Yeah, whatever herbs you want, if you want anything else else on there. You're going to either chop up a tomato or you're going to slice or I guess have. Yeah, I like using grape tomatoes and halving them. Yeah. Because they're perfect for bite size. And I happen to have a couple big ripe tomatoes in the garden, so I just chop them. You're going to sprinkle them like all over the top of the You can even take a big tomato and just slice it. Yeah, I guess you could. And lay it over on top, too. That would look kind of neat, too. It would, like a pinwheel. Yeah. Yeah, it look cute. I guess, actually, you could put the big slices of tomato down and put the egg on top that That's way, too. That's what I think I would do. Yeah. The way we did it, we just sprinkled them on the top of it. And then you can add some cheese, a cup, or if you're a DiCarlo, a cup <laughs> way and a more. half. <laughs> you know, shredded cheddar or like a dairy-free vegan right. cheese if you have to go that route. And then we like it a little fancy, so we sprinkled some black olives on the top. Who doesn't like black olives? And you pop that into the oven. You want your oven at about 350. Mm -hmm. You pop that in the oven. You're going to bake it for like 20 to 25 minutes, essentially until the eggs are cooked. All the other stuff just needs to be warmed a bit. Exactly. And then when you pull it out, you're going to cut it in four and serve it. We threw some avocado on the top. This is where you make it your own. Right. You make it with avocado. You can make it with chilies. You can do it with anything you want. Salsa, salsa fresca, whatever. And and you're going to make it your own. You can put a little dollop of sour cream on top. Anything to make it your own. It really is very, very quick. If you choose to do cherry tomatoes and you have them, they are best going in the oven half because then they release some juice and they're really good. But the rest of it, it's just so quick and easy. You'll have it in the oven in under 10 minutes. Bake it for about 20, 25 minutes. 
and breakfast is served or Voila. launch your dinner. There I you mean, go. You can eat it any time of the day. You could even take the top and take some tortilla chips and sprinkle them on the top if you like a little crunch. A little crunch. That sounds good. Exactly. I like recipes like this because they use eggs in a different light and the egg will take those flavors on also. So you're making it Southwest. The one thing we didn't mention were some black beans, some corn. Those are all I your tex yeah. You I mean, make it your own. The base of this recipe is really tortillas and eggs. Yes. This is a quick and easy for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Uses a lot of eggs. You're going to love it. It is good. Now I'm hungry. Take some pictures. Share it to us on Instagram. Okay, so let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. This week's retail therapy is another one we're kind of excited about. It's mid-century. It's maybe a little earlier, but we like. Well, it's highly collectible. We're talking about jadeite, specifically jadeite chickens. And there's a lot out there. Yeah, it's fascinating how much there is. So jadeite, if you're not familiar, essentially looks like green milk glass. Yeah. It's like jade colored. I mean, there is a mineral called jadeite. This is green glass. It was originally manufactured in like the 1930s by a company called McKee. Correct. They did the early form. And then in the mid-century, so like 40s, 50s, 60s, a company we all know really well took it and ran with it. And that is... Fire King. Anchor Hawking. One of my favorites. Right. Right. Fire King by Anchor Hawking. So if you like talk to a hardcore collector and you say you're collecting jadeite, they assume you mean Fire King. So here's the thing. If you're shopping for jadeite and you want one of the originals from the 1930s, the bottom will have a stamp. The McKee mark, yeah. We'll have the marking on the bottom. So if you're out there looking and you turn it over. That's probably the rarest of the rare jadeite. That's the rarest of the rare. Now, if you find that, put that in your cart oh, and do, do not put do it back. Do not put that down. <laughs> do not do, put that down. You do not put that down. Or if you're at a yard sale and you turn it over and see that, just simply don't get too excited. Right. You know? Yeah. Just like, oh, this is kind of cute. What do you want for this? <laughs> we take five. So there's a surprising amount of chicken stuff made in jadeite. Because it's Mm mid-century. And mid-century was a plethora of chickens, including hens on nest, roosters on nest, all the different stuff. Last year on our Christmas trip. Yes. I did find a jadeite. I know. And I told her, if you didn't buy her, I was going to buy her. And I bought her. And she's on my kitchen table on my little round tiered shelf that sits on my table. Now, as we mentioned, jadeite is highly collectible. Highly. And a million things are made in jadeite. Cake plates and teacups and, I don't know, everything else you can imagine under the sun. That's a kitchenware. I mean, you can even go to the Joanna Gaines line for Magnolia, and they sell a lot of jadeite stuff also. Martha Stewart used to as well. She really popularized collecting it, and she has an enormous collection. But she had a contemporary company called Mosser, who were making reproduction jadeite pieces. So you can find them sometimes. Just know that the Mosser is not, those are not antique. Those are contemporary. Is this what you found earlier? Yes. So that, that is, is beyond cute. So it's an egg holder. You know how we all like ceramic tabletop egg holders? This is for deviled eggs. No. What I found was a deviled egg plate with a pen in the middle. Okay. So this is something different then. I thought those were not deviled egg holders, that that were actually egg holders. They look like an egg holder to me, but it says on the Etsy thing, it says- No, de- they might be wrong. That looks like be. an egg. The tabletop egg holder to me, it's in the shape of a jadeite hand. The stuff is just beyond cute. And jadeite, like you said, you can hold on to this forever and pass it down. Uh-huh. It's something that when you find, you're not going to want to like just have for a little while. You're going to want to keep. If you're looking for an entry level, there are salt and pepper shakers yeah. that have chickens on them. You can also find smaller hens on a nest that often were supposed to serve as a salt cellar. Right. 
You can find the smaller ones. They're usually a little more affordable. I have that next to my stove. They're milk glass, though. I have just the white milk glass. Yeah. And I use That's the Hazel Atlas. I have one of them. I have two of them that I put there for salt and pepper. Uh Uh-huh. Every time I lift the hen off, I'm like, please don't drop it to myself. (laughs) (laughs) So you need a pinch of salt and pepper. They're there. But the jadeite is just, like you said, it's highly collectible. It's so beautiful. It's a good pop piece, I call it. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is. So that you can put it with anything else and it's going to pop. Right. And if you find it, get it. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So we've got the tabletop egg holder. I did see deviled egg dishes. We have hens on nests, roosters on nests. We salt have the small shakers. salt and pepper shakers, the small hen-shaped salt cellar. We saw a funky rooster figurine. He was made of jade. Yeah. And then we saw the hen on nest by Charlton Rose. Mm-hmm. Fell in love with these jadeites. They had flowers painted on the jadeite. It's really pretty. Really pretty. The hen's comb and beak were painted also. I mean, this is fun stuff. You're going to find it all in the usual spots. The number one place to find things in the wild, in the thrift store, at a yard sale. But when you want it and you can't, where do you go? Etsy, eBay. Yeah, you definitely pay a premium, but you don't have to do the searching. And they often identify. There's a lot of Fenton. Yeah. I think yours might be a Fenton hand. Yeah. We're we'll to have to look. So when this episode comes out, we will post a picture of mine right. to kind of show what she is. I was so happy in jumping up and down. I actually got her for a good price. I think I only paid like $12 for her. I'm looking at eBay right now. Here's the 1930s. If she's really from the 1930s, what's the mark on the bottom? Let's see. She doesn't have a marking. If she doesn't have the mark, then she's not from the original 1930s. They're saying she might be Fenton. I don't know. But she's pretty anyway. So, yeah, this is one of those retail therapies. Take a five-minute vacation from your chair, look at your (laughs) iPad, your laptop, your phone, and look at the prettiness of this jadeite. It's definitely beautiful. You put it with a bunch of other stuff. It's that pop piece. Right. You definitely will want to add one to your collection. It's kind of addictive. The color is so beautiful. I just love it. It's beautiful. And like I said, you can get, like you said, you can get jadeite in anything. Yeah. And once you start this collection, who knows, you may want to add that in. I saw a jadeite turkey toothpick holder. So all you turkey fans. Thanksgiving. That would be super cute. Yeah. That's coming up. The rooster actually isn't on a nest. It's just the rooster. Just the rooster. Body. And then he at the top is the top of him. Okay. So yeah. And there is a difference between green glass and the opaque milk glass jadeite. The jadeite. Right. So the green glass is going to be clear, but green, that's not jadeite. The jadeite is opaque. Yes. It literally looks like tinted green milk glass, like minty green milk glass. Yeah, it's beautiful. Once you find it, you're not going to want to give it up. So do you have any of this that you want to share with us? Show it on Instagram and we will give you a story. Okay, so should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we are profiling the lovely Queen Sylvia chicken. Yes, we are. Our topic, it's our monthly roundtable with Fiona. We're going to talk about deep cleaning your coop. It's a fun conversation. Cracking the eggs is a delicious chocolate chunk pumpkin cookie. Mmm, go great with that coffee. So good. And retail therapy, we're going to go over our favorite products for winterizing. It's a do not miss. Yeah. Okay, so what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.